Turn with me to 1 Peter, chapter 1. Title of the message tonight, Remembering to Rejoice. I think about in a sanctuary tonight, a lot of different people, a lot of diverse people, right? But guess what? We all have at least three things in common. One, we're all sinners, right? Okay, just make sure you're aware of that. Secondly, we're all going to die, yes. Even you young folks thinking you'll live forever. But thirdly, if you name Jesus as Lord, you're going to suffer and experience trials. Now, the funny thing is, when you got saved, those of you that are new in the faith, they didn't tell you that, huh? <laughs> it's, it's in the fine print, though. It's in the fine print. Trials as Christians abound. Always have, always will. Some easier to handle, some that bring you to the, the end. And uh, about a year ago, I taught a message here called When It Doesn't Make Sense and explained about a trial that me and my wife had been going through with uh, one of my sons. Well, <laughs> we're still in that trial with one of my sons. Um, it's been the hardest experience in our 30 years of being Christians. Hardest trial that we've ever experienced. It's amazing. Um, loss of loved ones many times, but this has been the toughest one. Um, and the crazy thing is, even though the situation hasn't changed one bit, even yesterday, dealing with it, phone calls, blah, blah, blah. But we have changed. It's, it's about five months ago, we turned a corner in this situation, and it's, you know, it's one of those things where you just, in a sense, you just absolutely have to surrender and let the situation go and just, because nothing you can do. Year and a half of praying, year and a half of pleading, crying, talking, whatever, nothing has changed, and yet we've changed and God in his, his mercy and his grace has, has brought us to a kind of a new place. I mean, it's still tough. You know, we, we can still cry over the situation. But you know what? We've, we've done a, you know, God has done a work. And, um, but it was touch and go there for a while. I'm telling you what, even when I did that message, it was like, man, Lord, this has been the tough one. This has been, <laughs> I'm ready for heaven right now. I want to be where he is. And, of course, the sufferings as a Christian, um, the trials we go through is probably the, the most difficult thing to reconcile as believers because you're doing the best you can. You're trying. You're trying to walk right, and yet you're still getting bombarded and beat on in the area of trials. And it can be so difficult. And in this book tonight, Peter knows this. He's an expert in trials. And he's going to become an even greater expert because about three years after he wrote this, he was martyred. So Peter, right up front, his heart in ministering to the believers here, the, the dispersed, the scattered that were up, who'd left their hometowns. Some of them were pushed out. Some had moved out and everything. They were, they were scattered up there in what is modern-day Turkey, out of the nation of Israel. And a lot of them got saved up there as well, so, but they were all scattered. But he knows they're going through intense personal suffering and persecutions, not like anything we've experienced See, they were being put to death. They were ostracized from their family. They were losing their lives and such. I don't see that happening so much here in America, but we know it's happening around the world. But still, the trials that they were going through are the trials that we go through. Interesting, they were dealing with, you know, the loss of their lives. We deal with the loss of Internet and, and social media, and, and we think, you know, the world's going to come to an end. I mean, it's sad, especially those young kids, you know. 
hooked on this thing. But the reality of suffering is Christians. Man, why does God allow trials and suffering? And with this in mind, Peter desires to encourage these that were scattered. And he brings in this message. And really, it's kind of a prophetic message because he's, he's talking about the whole book is really, hey, you can make it. You've got to continue walking. You've got to keep, continue looking at Jesus. But in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, you know, don't think it's strange at the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening. And yet, like I said, in three years or so, he would be dead. And about a year or so after this book was written, they believe, is when Rome caught fire or was set on fire by Nero. They, they actually have the date as July 18th, uh, 64 AD. And when that happened, of course, the persecutions, Nero blamed the Christians. And, of course, you know what happened. And eventually, Nero dies, his son takes over Titus, and by 70 AD, the temple, Jerusalem, sieged, ravaged. And they say that over a million Christians in that particular siege lost their lives. Crazy. So right up front in our passage, Peter points the believers to the glorious reasons that they can rejoice. They can greatly rejoice, he says. And it's amazing. Let's read here the passage. Verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. And this passage of Scripture has been with me. Actually, um, when I got saved 30 years ago, the Nazarene Church, um, the guys there asked me to do a devotion. So I go, what's a devotion? <laughs> That's how young I was in the Lord there. He said, well, you just come, you do like a 15-minute Bible study. He's like, what are you talking about? I just got saved. I don't know what you thought. Anyhow, by just not chance, we know the Lord, how he works. He led me to this passage of Scripture. I had no idea what this passage of Scripture was. I had no idea it was even in the Bible, of course. And I'm going through this thing, and it has been with me ever since. I've tucked it away in my heart, and I quote it often to myself. In the idea of looking and being able to look beyond the sufferings of this life to what you and I have as believers. And right up front, Peter, number one, he encourages them to rejoice in hope. The first thing he wants to do is instill hope in the believer. And we, number one, we have the power of hope. And hope, you guys, in many cases, that's all you got. Because if you lose hope, really the, the battle's over. Game over. If you lose hope. Think about the recent suicides, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, these, these people that the world, and we would even look at it and say, they, they must have had it all, right? They must have had everything together. They're rich and famous and blah, 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 the whole deal. And yet, deep inside their hearts, they were what? Empty, hopeless, without hope, nothing to live for. They take their lives. How, that is the most tragic thing that can happen, I believe, in this world. But Peter here, the power of hope, and maybe you've heard this illustration given before about the Norwegian rat study, the scientific study in the region of wharf rats. It's a true story. You can Google it. But they did this study to find out really it was all on hope. And what they did is they take these rats and they put them in these, these vats, whatever. They spray water on them so they can't swim. They, they can't float on the back of me. So all they got to do is swim. So they throw them in this vat, kind of a cruel deal. 
Wouldn't happen today. I'd kill you right now. Pete would be all over this deal. But it was in Norway, of course. They didn't get away with anything there. But anyhow, they do this, and the rats, they swim, 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 swim. They last about, on average, 17 minutes. Pretty sad. Well, then, okay, let's try this again. So they throw another rat in there, and they know that right around this time, it's going to go down for the last time. So right about like six minutes, 16, they grab the rat, pull it out, dry him off, give him some food. What did they do? They inserted hope into the life of this rat. If you haven't heard this, the, the survival rate went from 17 minutes to 35 hours. 35 hours that rat was able. Why? That's the power of hope, folks. And that's what Peter is telling the believers. You have hope. And what is this hope? This hope, of course, is in Jesus. And the great thing is that God won't let us drown. You, you may be going down right now, you, and you're like, you're almost there. You're almost there. And I felt like I was almost there a number of times, yet God won't let it. He, he, at the right time, at the right time pulls you up. And, and instilling in us this, this hope. And the hope that we have, of course, is that because we are born again, we have hope beyond this life. We have hope that this is not all there is to life. Aren't you so thankful for that? Isn't it pathetic to think that at one day time you believed that this was all there was? And yet because you thought this was all there was, what did you do in response? Psh, party, hearty, drink, do anything you can to fill the hopelessness and despair. We have the hope of eternal life in heaven that is promised to us. It's promised. Because ultimately, guys and ladies, the things of this earth, they are not going with us to heaven. The trials that you are experiencing right now, they're not going to be there. They can't be there. It wouldn't be heaven. If they're there, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> yeah, better luck next time. And all the things that caused us the trials, all the things that were there. And really, the, not, you don't get trials from heaven except for the fact that God, what? He allows them. And we'll get to that. But the stuff of this earth is not going with us. And we have this hope. And because we have this hope, because hope has been inserted, we can endure all things. Amen. And thirdly, though, also this hope is alive. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus. Born again, cause us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And folks, the resurrection is what Christianity hinges on. I know for most of you that's, yeah. But you know there's a poll out there that says that 60% of Christians don't believe in the resurrection. Uh, newsflash, without the resurrection, we don't have a thing. Christianity is meaningless. It's hopeless. We're still dead in our sins. There'll be no resurrection of the body. And that's what it's all about. Jesus didn't raised spiritually. He rose physically from the dead. Look at the holes of hands. He ate. Amazing. Without the resurrection, no salvation, no eternal life, no hope for the future. With it, forgiveness of sin, resurrection from the dead, and ultimately eternal life. We have a living hope, you guys. In this, we greatly rejoice. So we rejoice in hope, number one. Number two, though, Peter encourages them to rejoice in the future. What is their future? 
Verse 4, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation. We're dead. He revealed last time in this. He greatly rejoiced. What is our future? Oh, my gosh. Their heavenly inheritance. Born again, Jesus is alive. And, and <laughs> I was thinking about this. When we get to the pearly gates, you know what they're going to be giving us when we walk in? Sunglasses. Because our future is so bright, we what? You got to have shades. <laughs> That's an oldie. I know, I know. I'm a little older guy. You young folks are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And yet, it's going to be so bright because Jesus is the light. There is no sun. It's gonna, you're going to have to have shades on. It's like, here, put them on. Like, Whoa, it's amazing. See, in his future hope, of course, is heaven. And heaven is, of course, spoken of as an inheritance. And interesting, with that, the culture, Jewish culture at the time, many had lost their inheritance. And remember, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, what was it that God gave them? The tribes. He gave them land as their inheritance. Well, the dispersed, the scattered, they'd lost that. It was so important to them. You read Psalm 37, and the fact of inheritance and inheriting is all over that psalm. So real to them. They, that was like part of their heritage. They lost their inheritance. They lost this land, this property. And, and of course, Peter's saying, no, no, no. Hey, yeah, it was cool what you had, but guess what? What is coming, what is in the future is so far above this earthly stuff. And that's our future. And this, this inheritance described as Peter, it's interesting. He, he describes what this inheritance is not. Doesn't tell us anything about what it really is. It's what it's not. Number one, it is incorruptible. It cannot be damaged, destroyed, or ruined. Ruined like a like a computer hard drive can be corrupted. Our inheritance, not not at all. It's undefiled. Can't be stained, tainted, impure. It's perfectly holy, of course, and it does not fade away. It's not going to lose its luster when we get there and we have this inheritance. We're not going to go. Man, what a bunch. This, yeah, this is it. I mean, in, in, in a sense, and when you think of earthly inheritance, now some of you blessed by that and how God would work it. I was on the phone today with a dear brother, and he and his, his brothers inherited a nice inheritance. And yet, I kid you not, it's so sad. It's such a mess. There's fighting and bickering and problems and paperwork. He's, he's like, I'm, he's, he's like, he's losing his mind over things, even to the point where it's like, almost wishes he didn't even have it. See, that's what can happen. These things are what can happen to an earthly inheritance. And I'm sure some of you experienced that with your family members. Parents die, they hand everything over to you kids, and guess what? Man, it's World War II or three or four. Sad, really sad. But see, our inheritance, no, 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 no. Incorruptible, undefiled, doesn't fade away. It's heaven. But also the, the, the future that we have is secure. See, because Jesus rose from the dead and he is already there, see, our reservations are secure. To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And I love the New King James Version using that word. I love the fact that I you, I got reservations in heaven. I mean, isn't it cool when you, you make a reservation? Don't you love it? You make a reservation and you walk up and the restaurant's just packed. 
and you see everybody, and they're in the lobby and everything, and you just kind of walk up, and uh, you get to the thing, and you, uh, yes, reservations for six for two. And they say, oh, right this way, sir, and you walk by, and all the people are like, they're looking at you, and they're all mad-dogging you, because you just walk on by, and you get the place, they put you right by the window. Oh, I love reservations. <laughs> but isn't it a bummer when they mess up your reservation? <laughs> Sorry, sir, we don't have your name on the list. Ooh. And of course you say, oh, that's okay. We'll wait another hour and a half for the rest of the people. Sure. Right. I'm going to another restaurant. But the fact is that nobody can mess up your reservations. Nobody. This future hope is secure. And of course, the future hope is waiting for me because I have faith in him. I believe in him. My salvation, my inheritance is there waiting. It's there. Just waiting for me and you to take that Next step. And someone will say, wait a minute. Oh, I'll, I'll give it some time. Are you crazy? Wouldn't it be nice if today, right into this Bible study, it was just like, you know, Star Trek transporter room. We're all just kind of beamed up. <laughs> and those of you that kind of been messing around today, God kind of has you wait a little bit and <laughs> just testing you. See, shouldn't have been messing around today, but I'll let you come in anyhow. You get up. Turn with me to, to Revelation 21, 1 through 7. I love when we read this about our inheritance. And some of you, I know this is probably a brand new passage of Scripture for you. Revelation 21, second to the last page in the Bible. We read this often in, in funerals, of course, because, of course, those are some of the most difficult trials to experience when your loved one has gone to be with the Lord, and yet when you're reminded, you look at this passage of Scripture, and you go, you know what? There is coming a day, and it could be today. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21, verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What is that going to look like? Beautiful. Beautiful. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And here's, of course, verse 4 where we always focus. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All gone. Not in heaven. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Here it is. He who overcomes shall what? What's that word, New King James? Inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my son. Go with me back to First Peter. We see this. And in this, of course, we would greatly, greatly rejoice in our future. But now, number three, verse six through seven, Peter encourages them in trials. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
I don't know about you, but Peter could have left this part out. Just, just cut it right out of there. The reality of trials. Man, Peter encourages him, though, as an expert, no doubt. And um, the older you are in the Lord, the longer you walk, of course, obviously, the more you're going to experience these things. And, um, and it is what it is, really is. <laughs> but, of course, what did Jesus say? In this life, you will have. And Peter also turned two pages over to chapter 4, verse 12. In his continued encouragement in his letter, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And there he goes on to say again, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And that's one of the most encouraging verses there because oftentimes you're in the midst of trials, you're like, it's, the enemy in a sense isolates you and you think you're the only one that's going through this crazy stuff. Everybody around you is like, ah, happy joy, eating in and out and loving life and everything and, and you're just like sick. No. He says, don't think it's weird. Don't think it's wrong. But really, we got to expect them. But the neat thing is we go through this passage here, though. First off, we see that trials are temporary. In this ye greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. And that's true. I, I think 98% of the trials that we go through, I mean, they, they come to an end. They resolve some way, somehow. And the 2%, you know what? They'll be resolved when we get to heaven. They're temporary, though. Paul said the same thing to the Corinthians. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And, of course, in light of eternity, the stuff on earth, the trial that you're in right now, man, it's a blimp. It's a blip on the radar. It's, it's nothing, and it will be nothing. They're temporary, which is an encouragement, okay? You will get through this. Back when this whole thing started with my son, man. And yet, here I am, still standing, still alive, still, still kicking. Wish the thing had been resolved. Wish everything's completely changed. But you know what? It's up to God to take care of the rest of it. But trials are needed. Oh, <laughs> if need be, Peter says. A little while, if need be, and really... It's almost like it was Peter's gentle way of saying, yes, trials are needed. We don't want to hear that, though, huh? They are needed. We'll all be tested because really, ultimately, as you have experienced, this is where God does the deepest work in your lives. What did, what did Jesus learn through his sufferings? Hebrews says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And Jesus said himself, hey, you know, the student is above the master. If I suffer, you're going to suffer. That's some more of the fine print that is there. <laughs> Imagine showing that the person just got saved. Okay, by the way, this, this is what you signed up for. But isn't it interesting when, when Paul got saved there in the book of Acts chapter 9? That's one of the first things that Jesus told him. I'm going to tell him how much he's going to suffer for my sake. Man, what a, what a guy Paul was. These trials are temporary, but they're also needed. Turn one page to the left to James. And, of course, we've all heard this before. 
I'll never forget one time I walked into Pastor Dave's office. This is years and years and years ago. And I started telling him about a trial I was going through. And he goes, ha, huh, consider it pure joy, brethren. <laughs> See you, brother. It's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> James 1, though, he says, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, and here is the key, as you go through these things, you do learn this. Knowing that the test of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. These trials, they mature us, they complete us, they help us to identify even more with Jesus. And when we experience more in a sense of just what this Christian life is all about, it's not supposed to be a bed of roses. And don't let anybody tell you that if you're going through trials and you're suffering, there's something wrong with your faith. Because there's churches out there right now that'll tell you that. Well, you just have the faith, brother. That's all it is. Put a little money in that little pocket right thing there, and uh, you're going to be taken care of. But you got to have faith. It's all about faith. And you can speak your own reality into existence. Yeah. I don't think it works. Spurgeon said it this way. Love this. This is a quote. Trials can prove to be a wonderful work of God in us. I have looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing. Not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I felt it then. To feel the power of faith as I felt it then. To hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then. And to see God at work as I saw him work then. And these trials are needed, one, to bring humility. Tell you what, nothing like a good old trial to break you down and just strip you of your pride. Think you got it all together, everything, oh, yeah, I'm all this and everything. And then you're on your knees crying, begging God for him to change things. Where's your pride now? I'm speaking of myself, not you guys. I don't think you guys have pride out there, right? But also is to keep us from worldly things. And most of the time, oftentimes, our problems come from the things of this world. Also to point us to heaven, obviously, and to help us, though, to keep a light touch. Because remember, this, this earth is passing away. You, I, could be gone today. And all the stuff you're working for, all the things that you're dying for, you're killing yourself for, all the things you're fretting for, we're worried about, we're losing sleep over, oh, to keep a light touch but also to make blessings even sweeter. I'll tell you what, there ain't nothing, nothing greater when something gets resolved, some trial, some situation, some circumstance you're involved in, and, and it's just, oh, you're like, oh, my gosh. I'm going to have ice cream tonight with whipped cream. Up. Oh, man. But also, we go through these that we also can comfort others, as 1 Corinthians tells us. We comfort others with the comfort that we have received. And what you go through, God uses because you're going to minister to somebody else. Maybe it's next door in another office at work. Neighbor, family member. Oh, you know what? I, I went through that. Thanks, God. I didn't want to, but now I understand why that I can turn and minister. We understand that. But also, we go through these things to chasten us for our sins. The old woodshed, the old come to Jesus meeting. When in our sin, God allows the consequences 
to come forth. Ah, and it's so tough when you pray with people and, and you see, man, they just messed up. And it's, you know, it's almost one of those things where it's like, you, know, you can't put a wrecked car back together kind of deal. And yet, though, there's forgiveness, there's life after, but that consequence, that wrecked car is going to sit there. It is what it is. But also, ultimately, to strengthen spiritual character, because the bottom line is, you will never grow as much spiritually as you do when you experience trials. You know, it's like the old analogy of going to the gym. You know what? You want to you get in better shape, cardiovascular, whatever. It ain't going to happen sitting on the couch with a remote control eating bonbons. <laughs> it just doesn't. It, it's not going to happen. I mean, they'll try and sell you kind of stuff. You know, hey, this remote control will cause your biceps to grow big. I mean, you just, that's crazy. No, it doesn't happen that way. It just, it just doesn't happen. You got to be challenged in these trials. So trials are needed, but also, number three, see, trials hurt. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And it refers to physical pain and mental anguish, sadness, sorrow, disappointment, anxiety. And and these trials, of course, they have the ability to break your hearts, especially when it's with loved ones. And you know what I'm talking about. Man, hurts. It hurts. And don't let anybody tell you that you're unspiritual for crying over or telling you, come on, you know what the Bible says, suck it up. Peter says rejoice. You should be doing backflips. James, you know, Dave, yeah, you should be happy right now. I'm not happy right now. Maybe I'll be happy later. But you know what? I love the fact that in the Bible, two words were written, and this helps. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That's all I need to hear. Because if Jesus wept, then it's okay to me to be grieved for these trials and to cry over them. Man, doesn't mean I'm unspiritual or hurt. That was the case. Then King David had no faith at all. Amen. And we know the trials, they're the, they're the tenderizers of your heart. Oh, my gosh. You go through a trial, you're a, you're a changed person. You're a new person. You, you've got compassion and mercy on people like never before especially when you run into someone who's gone through the loss of a loved one and you lost your parent or your whatever, and you can minister so differently to them. And then these trials, of course, they're various. By various trials, all sizes, shapes, no discrimination from a flat tire to the loss of a loved one. Some make sense, some don't make sense at all. I've shared this before. When my mom died, she'd had cancer for three years. It was like, Lord, please take my mom home. But when my stepdad died two and a half years ago, nah, that, that one, that was a tough one because it didn't make sense. He wasn't supposed to die. He wasn't even sick, really. And yet he dies. Various, various, various. And there's a warning here that I want to just, again, encourage you that one thing you, you have to be careful, of course. Trials not handled biblically have the potential to cause you to doubt that God is real. And a lot of people don't even want to admit that. You know, wait a minute. <laughs> you actually doubted that God was real? I'll tell you what, in the midst of a horrible trial, you can come to that place like, where are you? Are you? And it's real. And if you don't handle them biblically, that's because that's, 
Whose plan is that to get you to doubt that God is even real and to turn your back on God? All right? Now, do you know anybody that has turned their back on God because of an experience they went through? They don't, they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Yes, I do. I know a lot of people. People used to come through that door, sit right where you're sitting. It just, you know what? I've had enough. This thing's it's a joke. I'm out of here. I was reading the book by Ellie Wiesel. He was probably the most vocal spokesman for the Holocaust. He actually just died recently. He wrote this book called Night. And it's, it's, it's an account of, of course, him and his family going through the Holocaust. And he survived. His whole family died and everything. But in the book, he actually writes of the fact that, you know what? God, you are not real. Because there's no way a God would allow what I have seen and what I've experienced to happen. Got to be careful, folks. Peter is giving us instruction on how to handle these trials biblically. That we cannot lose our faith, but we can increase our faith. We can be stronger. Number seven, we have the reason for trials. Verse seven says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. The reason that the genuineness of your faith, and these, these trials, they test your faith to see is it real. Do you have genuine faith? Like Peter says in Second Peter, like precious faith. Are you really a believer? Do you really have faith? Is your faith genuine? Do you really believe? Are you going to continue walking with Jesus? And Moses, telling the children of Israel, of course, speaking for God, that God, in, in 8.2, Deuteronomy, God was testing the Israelites to see what was in their hearts, whether they would obey his commands or not. Job, he says in 26.3, he knows the way I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Man. Genuine, tested faith. Job's was a tested faith that was genuine, and honestly, folks, faith that is not tested is no faith at all. If your faith isn't tested, you don't got faith. I mean, faith is, it's not faith. It's got to be tested. Do you believe? Is it real? Are you going to make it? And, of course, we know that God, in the nick of time, is going to pull you up out of that bucket. He won't let you go down. So trials test your faith, but also trials prove the value of your faith. Much more precious than gold that perishes. And of course, gold then, the most precious and highly valued metals at that time. Of course, it is now still. And, and just like gold is refined to prove its worth, you guys, so is our faith. And then we make it through the fire of affliction. It shows the value of your faith. And the value of our faith, immeasurable. Why? Because of the results of our faith what we get out of our faith. It's the salvation of our soul, the inheritance that is to come. That's why your faith, the genuineness of your faith, the value of your faith is priceless. What would a man change or trade for his soul? He gained the whole world, Jesus said, but he loses his soul. What, what does he gain? Nothing. It's priceless. It's priceless. They prove the value of your faith, but also trials bring accolades from God. This is amazing. This is crazy. This is exactly what it says. 
more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found. Your faith, as you go through trials in life, found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus. Amazing. Even though no trial at all is joyful, this is the promise, though, that when we stand before Jesus, he himself, he's going to praise you. He's going to honor you. He's going to look at you. Well done, my beloved son. Well done, well done. Look at this one here. Man, you guys, this guy really went through it. And look at his faith. Man. He's going he's to dole out rewards. Maybe a crown or two that's going to be handed out. Because when you get there, and you may get there smoking, you know, a little bit of fire, singe, and everything, but you're there. <laughs> Amen? And of course, Peter's encouragement is to hang in there, you guys, because it's going to be worth it in the end. And Job, of course, as you know the book of Job, Job sure found that out. Now imagine if Job had, list, Job had listened to his wife. Now, I'm not saying you don't listen to your wife's. Them and the Holy Spirit, they got a thing going, I'm telling you. But if he had cursed God and died, and yet he hung in there, God blessed him abundantly. Paul echoes the same thing in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Lastly, number four here, Peter commends their faith, verse 8 and 9. Here it is. It's so crazy. Whom having not seen, you have not seen Jesus, you love. And though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Peter is commending their faith. It's amazing. These believers, in the midst of trials and suffering persecutions, death and such. They had a reputation. How would Peter know this? He had heard. He got word back that they had this joy that was inexpressible. All without seeing Jesus. Peter had seen Jesus. The apostles had seen Jesus. We never seen Jesus. Crazy thing is, Paul had an advantage because he actually was able, he popped up into heaven. He got to see heaven and was sent back down. But God knew that he would need a little extra help because he was going to really go through it. They loved him and was evidenced by their continued faith. They believed in him, evidenced by them continued to walk in his ways, obeying his word, but also they rejoiced in their salvation. So much so, this is, what, this is Peter's description of their joy. I don't think someone wrote them a letter, Peter a letter saying, hey, by the way, this is what our joy is like. No, Peter, some way, somehow, was able to tell and know. And maybe he traveled there. Maybe he got word back from people or saw it himself. Inexpressible, beyond the reach of human expression, full of glory, to render highest praise. Okay? Now, I've been thinking about this a lot. What is joy inexpressible? And full of, what is joy unspeakable? What is that? Have you experienced that? Maybe, maybe with your first child, maybe your first baby, and then guess what? They grow up, though. 
Or maybe, maybe you won the lotto. Or maybe you watch those lotto programs and you say, oh my gosh. And then you got to pay the taxes and your whole family comes to try and live with you. <laughs> nope. How about retirement? Eh, ret- oh my gosh, I can't wait to retire. And then in a month you're bored. I'm sure that would just... Or how about getting married? That's it. There's a lot of you out here like, oh, my gosh, I just can't wait to get married. It's going to be joy inexpressible and full of glory. And don't get me wrong, but guess what? Eventually, the honeymoon is over. How about I put this down? Walking on the moon. That would be pretty incredible, huh? But then you got to come back to earth. What is joy inexpressible and full of glory? I thought a lot about this. And, and, and you read this, okay? So Peter's writing this. He's talking to them about the fact that you guys haven't even seen Jesus, and you love him. You haven't even seen you, but I saw him. I've seen him. Could it be that Peter hears about their faith, hears about their joy, but he writes these words describing something that he experienced? Because remember, Jesus saw, or Peter saw, Jesus alive. Then Peter sees Jesus, what? Dead. But then, what happens? Peter sees Jesus resurrected. He's alive again. He's alive. He was crucified. Peter sees him come back to life. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about a movie. Maybe you saw it, We Are Marshall. True story of this football team and the coaches, and um, they're on their way back from a football game, 1970, true story. 75 people on this plane all die, and it was most of the team and the coaches and everything, okay? And, of course, everybody's devastated. And it, There's a scene in the movie, and the camera shots from the top, looking down. And it's a, it's a woman, she's in her bed, and she's crying. She's crying. It's, it was an amazing scene, if you didn't see the movie. But she's crying, and she's there, she's weeping over the presumed thought, and, and she, her husband's dead. He was on the plane, okay? Or so she thinks. So she's crying, then all of a sudden she hears it's raining and everything. Of course, they have to Hollywood dramatize it. I don't even know if this part of the story is really true, but it was great for the movie. But anyhow, <laughs> she... She hears a noise. It sounds like his truck. And so she's like, she gets up and she goes to the window, then she goes to the door, she opens the door open. Holy cow, guess what? It's his truck. He gets out of the car. He he looks at her. She's like, and, and he goes, didn't you get my call? I bet you wanted to say smack him right there. Like, what? You idiot. No, I didn't get your call. And in the movie, he had missed the plane and couldn't make it. And he drove home. He was dead, but he was brought back to life. Think about that for a moment in your own personal life. That was the story. But if you've lost a loved one, of course, horrible as it can be, imagine, imagine Imagine if that person came back to life. 
I can remember sitting around the, the bed with my family there, and my mom's there, and she's been gone about, I don't know, a couple hours by the time we got everybody together. We got over there, and we were just, and of course, she didn't come back to life. But what, what would have happened if all of a sudden she opened her eyes, she gasped, and she sat up somehow back to life? That, to me, folks, would be joy unspeakable and full of glory. Glo- joy inexpressible, complete, utter. You guys follow me here? So Peter sees this. Peter sees and imagine the disciples. And yet when you read the gospel accounts, I don't know why it's not in there, but they didn't, it didn't seem like they went crazy over the fact that Jesus was alive again. Pretty much they were kind of freaked out. It's a spirit. Oh, it's, it's a ghost. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, and yet imagine. And yet I say all that to just talk about the fact that these people in the midst of their suffering was able to have a joy that was inexpressible and full of glory. And there's no other way I can describe what that must look like because I'm telling you what, when you think about your salvation, yes, I get excited about it, but guess what? And I'm talking about the salvation to come, not salvation right now. I'm saved. I mean, it was amazing, incredible. It's awesome. But I've never been saved in heaven yet. Have you? Anybody been saved in heaven and come back? No. Imagine, though, when that takes place and you stand before Jesus. That's joy inexpressible. And yet these believers, amazingly, these believers had that type of joy. Whom having not seen you love, though now you don't see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I want that kind of joy when I go through trials, when I'm going through trials. And the only way I can have that kind of joy, though, is to look at what Peter said here and believe what he says and know, guess what? Today could be the day. It could happen right now on stage. I can, uh, bam, I'm gone to heaven. Don't do CPR. I got, I got DNR on me all over the place. Don't resuscitate. Man. See? They were able to look beyond their sufferings or trials to their inheritance, to the promise of life, eternal heaven, and it gave them ability to greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. Man, folks, that's what we need to have. And that's what people around you need to see. When you're going through it and you're beat up and black-eyed and bruised and just tore up and they look at you and you're just like, yeah, but guess what? I'm going to heaven. Woo, and it could be today. And of course... All the crops. This guy's crazy. <laughs> Application. Turn with me to chapter 5, verse 8. And we'll start wrapping up here. I call this the application factor in the men's ministry. Let's do some applying here. But the great thing is the application is at the end of the message. Okay? Instruction from Peter as he concludes this letter to these believers. Number one, we see in verse 8, what I wrote down is that trials will not end until heaven. Newsflash, huh? He says, be sober, self-controlled, be vigilant, alert, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And until we're in heaven, he is here, and that's his job, and that's what he's going to do. And he is, of course, ultimately 
very much involved in the trials that we go through, although we know, of course, God sovereignly allowing these things into our lives. And yet, he isn't going anywhere till this thing is over either. Trials are, ain't going to end, okay? Got to come to grips with that, the reality of that. Because either you're going in, you're coming out, or you're right in the middle of a trial. And sometimes you might have a little break there, a little window. I think the toughest part is when it's just like, you know, a storm at the beach. The waves just, they just don't stop. That's where it gets tough, and that's where you've got to be biblically minded and responding to these trials. You'll, you'll get through it. The waves will stop. Number two, though, verse 9, you're not alone. You're not alone. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Let me see you show of hands of people that are going through some type of trial. Go ahead. Look around, folks. You ain't the only one raising your hand. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, guess what? <laughs> and you know this. And you know this. And, and, and it's, you know, to have the breaks are great because it's like, man, I'm just like, ah. And then the trial comes. But when the trial comes and knowing it, you know what? Eventually, I will, go, I will get through this. Universal principle of Christians, of Christianity. person sitting next to you is going through it too. But also, number three, though, verse 10, God does have a plan. You guys, he does have a plan. Verse 10, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory, praise the Lord for that, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, here again, Peter, it's just a while. It's just a while. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So what does that mean? Perfect, to restore and mend what has been broken with the aim of maturing. To restore in the midst of these trials. The trial may not change, like I said earlier, but you sure will. But also to establish you, to, to render you immovable. 2 Corinthians 15, 58 stuff. Therefore be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your faith is not in vain in the Lord. To strengthen you, obviously, in order to bear you up under the trial, and also to settle you. On the firm foundation of Jesus, as you mature in this area of trials, as you, as you go through these things, there's this, this um, deepening effect of like, you know what? I'm just, it's just me and Jesus. I'm settled. I got it. I'm with him. He's with me. And of course, fourthly thing here, these trials, the more you experience trials, the application here, the more that you look to heaven, longing to be home. And it's not just something that happens as you get older, but I'm telling you what, you talk to most people today, it's like, you know what? I am so ready. I am, I, I am so done with this earth. I told everybody, I'm, I'm in the fourth quarter now. I turned 60 this year. I'm in the fourth quarter. But you know what? Three quarters? I've, I've lived a lot. I'm, I don't need the fourth quarter. I, I, no. I mean, what else am I going to experience except maybe more of his glory, of course? But what I want to experience, the real glory. Of course, my wife's not into that, but... And I wouldn't be into it for her either. Don't get me wrong here, but man. And, and what we, of course, have learned through the years that sometimes in trials, especially the ones that go on and on, our only hope is to look beyond this life to the promise of the next. And that was what Peter was doing here. 
with the hope, of course, that not only the trial, but also this life could end even today and we'd be in heaven. Paul says it even better in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. You don't have to turn there. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those sayings which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. These trials that will be gone. Man. When you think about this, think about the promise that we have looking forward, um, turning our eyes upon Jesus. I downloaded a, an old um, course and hymns thing from Maranatha, and one of them on there is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory. How many of you know that song? How many of you guys know that? Isn't that? Really, that's all who know that? Jeez, I'm getting old here. This is crazy. You young people need to know these hymns, these incredible songs. Alex, you've got to sing that for us, brother. But as the worship team comes back out, uh, I want to have them sing this, this song. Um, and this song became an anthem for me. My wife, about five months ago, began to listen to it. It's still our song. And it's do it again. We sang it here a couple times. We sang it actually last uh, Thursday. And the amazing words in this song I want you to tune into. Because it's a song of recognizing that, man, you're, you're in it. Trials are happening. But it immediately points you to the fact that God is faithful. And God can and God will bring you through it. And, and the chorus is so incredible and this is what kind of helped us because the chorus says, I, I, I seen you move. I seen you move the mountains and I believe that you can move them. You can do it again. And, and, you know, 30 years walking as a Christian, been through a lot, a lot of trials and everything. But the truth is, I've seen God move many mountains. I've seen God do incredible, crazy things. Those of you that were around when Steve Mays passed away, I'm telling you what. That was a mountain, and yet God moved that mountain. He moved. He worked. And tonight, if you're here, and you're going through it, and you've got a trial, and it's just you're, you're amping, you're redlining, you know, and there's, you know, not everybody in here is experiencing what you're experiencing, and you're having a tough time. I want you to listen to these words, and then during the song as well, the pastors are going to come down, and we're going to conclude here, and they're going to be here to just to pray with you, encourage you. But I want to encourage you. Man, that God does, and he can, and he will, and he is. And I'm so thankful that in reality, as, as we have come through this trial, like I said, nothing's changed in this trial I'm talking about. Nothing. Got a call about it yesterday. But we've changed because God is faithful to his word. This I recall to mind, Lamentation 3.20. Therefore I have hope that through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. Why? Because his compassions, they fail not. They are new Every morning, what's the word? Great is his faithfulness. So I'm going to pray, and then Jesse's going to go ahead and start that song. Let the words, let it sink deep into your heart. Let it restore in you the faith that God will move mountains. He's done it before. He'll do it again. And then during that time, the pastors will be down here in front. 
pray with anybody who needs prayer. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this instruction from Peter. Lord, no doubt an expert in trials to encourage the believers to, to speak spiritual truths, biblical truths that we can all hold on to and cling to when the next wave crashes over our heads, trying to take us down. Yet, God, if we are obedient to your word, if we hold on to what your word says, the promises that you cannot go against, that you cannot change, Lord. God, you will, you will pull us out. You won't let us drown, God. You're going to insert hope into our lives. So bless those that are here tonight, Lord, that have been just going through it, game faces on, but deep inside they are hurting. Lord, would you minister your love and your grace? Bless, Lord, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.